catechesis is telling a story, you know, uh, not getting involved in apologetic arguments, which is, for, to my way of thinking, exactly where the world wants us to be, right? They want us to be arguing about abortion. And, um, and, and we're supposed to be giving the initial proclamation of the saving love of God in Jesus Christ, which is the only means by which, that is, by accepting uh, that proclamation is the only means by which we could ever understand the church's moral um, teaching, right? And we're, we're basically speaking a language to people who, who don't have that language. Um, so, so we're starting, um, we're getting ahead of ourselves when we allow ourselves to engage in that argument. We're, we're I think, um, we're only contributing to the noise because it, 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 it um, for those hearing it anyway, however articulate we may be presenting moral arguments, it, it is inarticulate to those who are supposed to be receiving it. And, um, and so what the church seems to be counseling in the catechetical documents is, um, is this uh, return to that first proclamation and telling the story of God's saving love uh, throughout human history as expressed in the biblical text, which finds its culmination in Christ and the church. That uh, Augustine says, you must, you must first prove love, right? You must first prove love. And, and Paul VI in his document on evangelization said the, first thing, said the same thing. We have to be witnesses. We have, to, we have to demonstrate that love first and that will inspire these pressing questions. Who are these people? Why are they here? Why do they live as they do? And um, so I, th I think that's the critical problem. We, we have to make a space um, for the proclamation of the gospel. And I think the best way to do that is not to make arguments, but to tell a story. And, and that is actually the, the narrational imperative, which is presented to us in the catechetical documents. And what we find is that when uh, when you begin that way, people will make time. People are more, more likely to listen to a story than to hear an argument, and especially in our own age, which depends so much upon emotion. Um, stories are, um, are an invitation. That's why our Lord used parables. And, and people, especially, you know, if it includes a story of one's own witness, you know, because people are interested in people. And they're interested, they can, they can become interested in the biblical story when they recognize characters who are struggling like themselves. But they tend to think, um, and we don't always help in this regard, they tend to think of the church as a, as a mass of rules which, is, which we're trying to impose on people. And so they have no conception of um, you know, the law of the gospel as, as uh, a response in love to a God who has loved us first. So, I think that's, that's the critical issue in evangelization, is to demonstrate love. And uh, until we get about that business, um, you know, we'll continue to lose the cultural battle because it's going to be, you know, policy prescriptions based upon moral law. Uh, and, uh, and people need to uh, develop a, um, a capacity to hear that argument. And once again, nature, especially nature as it's influenced by this culture, is not really apt to hear that. 
Um, you know, JP2 said that we should always be confident in speaking the truth because a grace goes with it. But, um, but the divine pedagogy as represented in the Bible suggests that, you know, God doesn't go into Egypt and say, here are 10 commandments you have to obey. He saves them first and then asks them to return the love he has shown. And that's the, that's the divine pedagogy. And that's what we should be engaged in, in uh, the new evangelization. I guess we should say, you know, like evangelization precedes Catholicism. Yeah, that's right. And then, and are you, do you, like at the Augustine Institute, do you all give some coursework, like to priests on preaching and talking, or just speakers, or maybe just lay catechist speakers? Well, um, you know, all of our, our approach is narrational in form, so we follow the Augustinian pattern. And so, you know, um, learning to tell the story of salvation history is right at the beginning of the curriculum. So salvation history is always, um, you know, stands at the head because that's where Augustine puts it. So you have to learn to tell that story. Um, we have, we have priests in our classes, you know, um, usually in distance education. Um, but, uh, really what we try to do, um, you know, we do have courses in leadership and evangelization. So there, there's a practical dimension. But mostly what we try to do is we try to show people how to catechize by catechizing. So, um, you know, it's, a, it's an apprenticeship. And the, the whole of Christian life, the catechumenate, is supposed to be an apprenticeship of faith. And so um, our aim is to help students to learn how to do what the professors are doing so that they can go out and do the same. You know, the, sometimes, um, you know, the professoriate can can uh, overwhelm students, you know, it's like, well, that's great, but I could never do that. But almost, well, I shouldn't say almost, everybody at the Augustine Institute has been engaged in the work of evangelization and catechesis. We're not, you know, we've got some very high-powered academics in, at the Institute, but they're also really um, gifted catechists and teachers and so that's what we're trying to model. It's mostly through a process of modeling. And, and then, you know, in, in my assignments, in my classes, uh, they include, you know, preparing lesson plans or uh, which, which could be homily outlines as well, um, catechetical homily outlines. Um, so we ask people to take what they're learning in terms of the content of the faith and apply it to the pastoral setting. So it's always, um, you know, this, this work of receiving to give back, not uh, just for the purpose of learning. And of course, you know, learning the truth is, 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 uh, is worth doing all by itself. It's a good in itself. Um, but we always have sort of that, that applicational aim, that pastoral aim in mind. So um, without uh, setting aside particular courses that say, this is how you should teach, um, when I teach the narratio, I, I explain Augustine's methodology. I talk about the rhetorical structure and uh, how that fits in with the, you know, the Ciceronian rhetorical structure. But I don't go into deep detail just to teach them about rhetoric because Augustine, you know, gives up a lot of his earlier, you know, classical rhetorical practices because he recognizes that in the Christian regime, it's, it's you know, this isn't Cicero. It's, it's God's authority, right? And we're, we're as he says, uh, we're oracles. 
of the divine love. So we, you know, uh, we don't have to present ourselves and puff out our chests and and make a great display because because in the Christian regime, um, you know, we must decrease and he must increase, and it's God's word that we're we're conveying. So. So we are doing a lot of that kind of formative work and preparation for teaching and and uh, and even preaching on the part of those who have that kind of a, a thing in their future. But but we don't have specific courses dedicated that way. And in the tank, like the salvation history approach, like Jamie, just to the Gospels themselves, you just show God's Jesus's love for us. There. Mm-hmm. What what kind of emphasis do you have, like the you would talk about particular passages of healing and the parables, I guess. Well, once again, I mean, uh, you know, there's a, a vast rich, a richness in, <laughs> in the biblical text, um, and different uh, professors approach, you know, um, either the catechetical task or the teaching of the content of the faith in different ways. I mean, they all have their preferred points of reference in the in the biblical text. So it, it depends entirely on what, um, you know, what what subject area you're teaching in. Um, but, uh, but once again, what, you're, what we're looking for, because what we're trying to establish is um, filling the memory with the divine history and learning to recognize the analogies in, in uh, salvation history. So uh, Hugh of St. Victor in his work, The Didascalicon, talks about, um, you know, and it's it, that's a training manual for young monks, right? Those who are going to be studying and then uh, presenting uh, biblical history. And he says that the memory must be informed by history. And then the next step is to learn what he calls analogy, which are these connections. So, um, so you're always trying to show the way in which um, the old is fulfilled in the new, right? And and the new is anticipated by the old. So. And, and uh, you know, I've been teaching the sisters this week on, on the creed. And one of the things that the catechism is very avid about is demonstrating, um, and this is very Augustinian, influenced by, you know, the, the Augustinian Ratzinger who was overseeing this project, is very avid about making sure um, that those who read the catechism recognize that there is a plan, right? What, what the catechism calls a plan of sheer goodness and, and is is once again um, directly trying to reconstruct a biblical worldview um, in the catechism for those who um, you know are receivers of the faith today so that they can regain their confidence that history I always tell my students you know to uh, without faith history is just one damn thing after another right but but in faith we can recognize that, that those, those same events are actually ordered and directed and purposeful and uh, guided by divine love. And that's a completely different way of seeing the world. So it's not so much that there are particular texts that we point to, but what we're doing is always trying to draw those analogies so that people come to recognize uh, the, the biblical story, salvation history is one continuous narrative with many side paths and also, you know, obviously different kinds of literature, poetry and proverb. and. Um, and all those other beautiful elements there as well, but all expressive of, of um, once again, the demonstration of the divine love, which is evident in the way in which uh, history can be seen to rhyme. 
you know, that, that God repeats himself over and over again with ever greater intensity. And each time you, you move from one covenant mediator to the next, God is amplifying his voice and drawing out new, new facets of the divine love and how that's, how that's wrapping around the human problem and trying to solve it uh, for the human race until you rise to this culmination in Christ Jesus who JP2 called and the, and the catechism echoes this, uh, you know, that, that to, it says specifically in paragraph um, 426, it says that to catechize, quoting JP2, is to disclose to others the, the, um, the, uh, the, the, uh, how's, how's, how's it put now? The, the full design of the Father's plan fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's a paraphrase, I'm afraid. I'm not getting the exact words. But, but um, so, it, so to, to catechize is to impart to others, the, not just, you know, the, the Jesus who lived amongst, amongst us for 33 years, but the way in which Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and how the, the whole plan of God is a, is a, it reaches a culmination in him, and he is in himself as incarnate wisdom, the eternal design of the Father reaching fulfillment in him. So our Christian faith is supposed to give us this, uh, a Catholic vision. You know, I, I, I tell the students that, that Catholic means according to the whole, not just universal, but according to the whole. And so a Catholic faith is to be a faith according to the whole, which means seeing what, it is, what is disclosed to us about God's plan of love in Jesus Christ. So not just, you know, the, the, the slice that we see in that 33, the very valuable 33 years that Jesus spends with us, but the way in which he is, he's the answer to every question, the key center and purpose of human history, as paragraph 450 says, that in Jesus we see the whole plan of the Father and recognize that it's constantly a plan of, of divine love and that God is constantly preparing a way and giving us, uh, giving us clear evidence of his, his action in history. That's what that kind of typological reading, which sees these analogies and the connections between you know, preceding events and those that follow, and this building crescendo of grace, you know, throughout history, um, that gives people the confidence of faith, and that's what we're trying to build in them, you know, our students at the AI. This confidence of faith, not just knowing what the church teaches, but that 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 confident sense that the economy of salvation, in its majesty and purpose and direction and and beauty, in terms of the intricacy of that design. Is, is a macrocosmic view of what God's been doing in my life in, in micro, right? And so once people get, make that connection between that the eternal design of the Father reaching fulfillment in Jesus Christ and, and now seeing that operative in the events of their own life, in their personal salvation history, you know, it, you know, it would take dynamite to blow them out of the church. And that's what we're trying to do, you know, give them that, that, and that's what Irenaeus calls it actually, when he's, when he's giving that demonstration of the apostolic preaching, he says, you know, we, we tell this story to instill the conviction of faith. 
And, uh, and, and that's what we're trying to do too. Give, give these young people who are coming to us for training that conviction of faith, which will make them vital agents, you know, real witnesses, confident in faith, living in the resurrection, you know, fully, you know, operative in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, so that they're not, um, they're not just going out there and uh, delivering faith facts. It's gotta, it's gotta be more than that today. Yeah, I've heard, I think the Bishop Raymond talked about you know, the role and importance of beauty and convicting people. Yeah, mm hmm. Yeah. And goodness. Truth, not as much today, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's almost like we lost our concept of truth and objective truth. And it's, uh, but, you know, beauty is, gets our attention. I mean, I notice it just in the media. Mm hmm. Um, you know, just even watching like a short video. I think of like Chris Stefan or some of the stuff he's doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I mean, there's something about uh, like, a, like a video that's got maybe some kind of, kind of beautiful music and a scene of a person. And, and all of a sudden you get drawn into that drama really quick. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I'm amazed at how quick. Like, why did that just catch my attention <laughs> yeah. so deeply? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and we have the best stories. I mean, yeah, we, we do. Yeah. And... And so is that, do you see that too, using like beauty and, you know, a person's struggle with goodness and it's being... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, once again, that's what's so compelling about Augustine's Confessions, right? And you were noting before, right? It's, it's the personal drama that, that incites interest in people. And, and, um, and that was really revolutionary at the time, you know? And, and it still reads that way, you know, the self-disclosure that you see there, almost thinking out loud, you know, um, you know, disclosing the inner life um, uh, to those, to anyone who wants to, you know, gaze in. Um, so beauty is critical. It's, it's tremendously compelling. Um, I think we do have to be able to, you know, and, and Pope Francis says, you know, we, we must present first the most beautiful and attractive dimensions of the gospel. Um, so the, you know, the via pulchritudinis, you know, the way of beauty is, is, is vitally important. But, um, but I also like to mention, as I did before, that, you know, um, Pope Benedict said that we're also suffering from a glut of images. And so it, 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 uh, it's a tremendous way to invite people in to, to get um, for, a, for a, a retelling of the story. And we try to do that in all the video materials we do at, at the AI. We always try and tell a story and we try and uh, make it very compelling, both visually and in terms of the, you know, the, the narrative line. So we always, we often, not always, but often use, you know, extra stories of people who are struggling with faith and that sort of thing. You know, even in the context of disclosing, for example, that, you know, the, the church is teaching on baptism. So it's, you know, our, our, our video reborn, you know, talks about a young couple who's preparing and, and their struggles and, and their reflections about their own uh, lives of faith and, and where baptism fit in with them and what they receive from their parents and this sort of thing. So those kinds of compelling stories are very important. Um, but uh, but I, I think uh, that the, the element of truth is still critically important that in the end, um, beauty can be captivating, and it was very much so for Augustine. He, that's one of the things he wrestled with. Um, but he, he was finally captivated um, uh, 
uh, by the God who was first truth. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and it was in wrestling with those questions about, you know, what constituted the truth about human nature, who was God really, you know, what's the origin of evil, those kinds of things. And having, having the real answers to those questions uh, was once again what cemented him in, uh, into faith. And, and without those, um, you, can't you can't hold a person in the end. And, um, and truth, truth is the basis of order. And you were talking before about, you know, the, the, the chaotic quality of modern life, you know, and Augustine's famous for that phrase, you know, that the importance of the tranquility of order and in society and um satan's achieved a great victory if he's created this order yeah i think even gives the strong impression of a huge yeah order. yeah that's right yeah I think that's what we're living yeah in. that's exactly right it's it's we're living in a fog and all we hear are cries and you know lights going off and explosions you know and and there's there's a lot less there than there appears to be in terms of disorder and chaos and dissatisfaction the vast majority of people are still believers in the United States, right? Then, you know, the, um, Sherry Waddell talks about that. She's not dealing with absolutely the most recent polls in those books, but the, actually the number of, you know, atheists or even agnostics is a fairly small part of the American uh, population. Um, most people have a kind of religious intuition, believe there is a God, believe there's an afterlife, would, would like to be connected in some way. But, but the evil one throws up the smokescreen, a lot of dust and clamor, you know, and suggests the, you know, the whole world is against us. And in point of fact, that's just not the case. It's just a lie. Yeah, like globally, I saw the numbers, I forgot if it's maybe 10% atheists or something. I just thought, yeah. You know, these guys, these rock star atheists who are so slick and cool. It's like, you know, most people on this planet by far believe in some kind of God. Yeah, that's right. You're the crazy one. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it's all, it comes so naturally to children. It's almost like you got to damage the Yeah, child. that's right. And, and he's busy trying to do that. And unfortunately, sometimes even inside the church today. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, uh, that's that's it. My parents used to talk about. They used to use the phrase the the village atheist. You know, there was always some crank who you know didn't believe in God, but everybody else did. You know, of course God exists. What it, are you crazy? You know, and I was telling the students that you know Augustine when he or not Augustine uh, Thomas when he in the section where he's dealing with the five proofs, five demonstrations for the existence of God. The first question he asks, isn't it self evident that God exists? You know, do we really have to prove this? Because, you know, everywhere you look, everybody believes, you know. Yeah. And he says, well, not actually. So let's, let's generate these demonstrations. But, but, um, but he was just echoing, you know, the psalm. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Yeah. It, it's really foolish to deny the existence of God. But, but we've been told it's been demonstrated that God doesn't exist. And, of course, there is no such demonstration. But once again, that's the clamor and dust of the evil one. And, and, and a lot of people are cowed. That's one of the reasons we need to build up the confidence of faith. People, they're cowed by these non-arguments and, um, and, and just the, the appearance that all the best people, you know, have rejected religion. So don't go over there because you don't want to be a rube, you know. 
and uh, but and and as we all know, you know the the celebrity population is the most unhappy portion of the population there is. They're you know they're they're self-absorbed and worried constantly about you know how they look and how they're appearing in the tabloid. It's it's a sad existence, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, isn't there a market for the truth, the good, and the beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's truly true, shouldn't we have, you know, and I always joke with the brothers, I say, well, if there's only some Catholic television network that could get the message out. <laughs> 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 but, uh, Anybody got any ideas? <laughs> or? <laughs> Well, um, once again, Augustine was a realist, um, and that's the advantage to an Augustinian approach to things. So um, he, and, and is, as we noted before, just completely willing to disclose his own struggles. Um, but that's, uh, from the Augustinian perspective, that's, that's the, the, you know, that's the cause for joy is, is that the, the struggle can be undertaken and in grace you can find victory. And so, um, um, uh, you know, so, so a survey of the world, I mean, even, even as presented to us by, you know, elite culture and um, Hollywood and, you know, um, those who are, you know, the, the, you know, the drivers of culture, um, is, is a demonstration of man's need for God. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's important for us to oppose these cultural forces in the best way that we can, you know, but, um, but we have, we have a secret formula on our side and it is that, that man when left to himself is the best argument for God. <laughs> and, um, and in the end, it, it, um, God may be driving us to the place where only he can fix it. Yeah. And, um, 
and uh, and in the end, this is our this is our sure hope. In the end, he will fix it. Um, he breaks in when when all seems to be lost, you know, and that's always the way in the in the story of Israel. So, um, so there's there's no reason for us to be shy. Um, I'm even, you know, once again, it's a it's a it's a bitter thing in many ways. But even all the scandals we're seeing in the church today are in a certain sense, welcome, you know, because it represents, uh, you know, the possibility of the sanitizing light of truth piercing into these places where things were hidden. And that's nothing to be afraid of, you know, that's, that's salutary. And, 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 and you can see the hand of God in it, obviously not in the demonic acts of those who are perpetrating abuses, but in, Precise, precisely drawing back the veil and helping us to see the truth of the matter. And once again, you know, where, where the loss of faith leads. So, so we can be confident in ultimate victory um, in the midst of degradation. It's, uh, God is always going to have the last word and Satan always overplays his hand, you know. Talks about like you take the priest out of the parish, yeah, mm-hmm. and in so many years they'll be worshiping peace. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I've really come to appreciate that. It's like I myself, I need to hear that gospel message again. again. Yeah, yeah. You know, I need to do that. I need to be converted, and we need those dedicated to proclamation and things. And um, but yeah, just to how we just how just our natural fallen natural inclination is to sin and, mm-hmm. and it's so deep in us and um, and we need that you know um, you said something to me the other day that um, really struck me we were talking about Mary at the foot of the cross mm-hmm. and you know Mary the Immaculate Conception conceived without sin and never committed sin the pure humanity transformed you know and and she's there at the foot of the cross, and she will stand with us at the foot of our crosses. Mm-hmm. Peter has failed at this point. Mm-hmm. And at times we see failures in the papacy, yeah. personal mm-hmm. sin and things like that. But the holiness of the church, as personified in Mary, and Mary herself, you know, with us in trials, she never leaves us. That's right, that's right. And that was so consoling because I, I, I immediately thought too, you know, John Paul speaking about how the Marian dimension precedes the Petrine mm-hmm. dimension. That office of Peter, priests, and everything that are called to serve the church, to preach the gospel, to administer sacraments and everything, so vital, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they were all disciples first, you know, and that we're all called to be saints. They're first in the kingdom of God. Um, but how that, that I don't know. I guess when you said it, I just saw the personal presence of Mary. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Yeah, and um, yeah, I've been struck by that, and and I'm glad you found it consoling because it's been a tremendous consolation to me to recognize that in 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 the dark moments, obviously, you know, and the Catechism reminds us that the and and you know we may be. <laughs> Uh, we may find ourselves in that situation today, actually, um, you know, that the, 
the, the church's progress is not a slow ascendancy towards exaltation, right? We follow our, our crucified savior and, uh, and, and the church is struggling right now, you know, in, in uh, virtually on all fronts. And, uh, and, and the picture of the, of the church crucified, which is, you know, this ongoing work of recapitulation, you know, repeating, um, the story of Christ himself and the life of the church um, points us to that moment when when Mary and the beloved disciple stand alone be at the foot of the cross. All the other, you know, uh, apostles are gone, you know, Peter included. He's off, you know, wringing his hands somewhere or weeping or, you know, he and, and um, you know, and Peter throughout history is going to fail you. He just doesn't, he, you know, he doesn't show up when you need him, you know. <laughs> And, uh, but, but the divine plan has been presented to us in just that beautiful tableau, that beautiful picture of, of Mary standing. So not falling apart, you know, there, there are a number of commentators have noted that she stands at the foot of the cross, which is a, which is a picture of the resurrection, you know, um, the picture of faith standing there with that lone disciple who remains faithful to the Lord and is precisely faithful next to her. And that's, that's what we're called to do in every age, but especially when the church finds herself um, suffering the passion. And, um, it's almost like, yeah, it's saying that like, the path to holiness is always the solution. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Absolutely. Can, yeah, we can, have, we can have ingenuity, creative plans and everything, mm -hmm. but it always has to be with holiness if it's going to be lasting, it's going to be really strengthening. Yeah, that's right. I, we've been talking often this week and, you know, I work for Archbishop Chaput for, for a time. And, you know, he's, he's Franciscan in his, his spirituality. And I hope he doesn't mind my saying this, but, but um, you know, he always said, you know, I, I, I'm not big about generating pastoral plans. You know, I, his, his plan was always that Franciscan dictum, you know, uh, live the gospel sine glossa, right? Without excuse, without, uh, you know, without rationalizations, just embrace it fully. And that's, and that's why he's had success in, uh, you know, reform in his various, um, you know, work, works in the church and also inspiring it around him. Um, it, that's, that's the pattern. It's not generating, you know, new offices with new titles and, and, and generating complicated pastoral plans. It's, it's about simply returning to the gospel as, been, as it's been delivered to us once uh, for all and, and, and simply embracing it and, and, uh, and not making excuses for it, you know? And, and that's always uh, the pattern of reform. And, and throughout the centuries, you know, I've, I've been reading this book recently that talks about the pattern of, of uh, priestly life um, throughout the history of the church, especially in its communal dimensions. And, and, uh, and the, the signal call that you hear from century to century to century is how do we return to the apostolic pattern of Christian life? You know, how do we, how do we live commonly? How do we live poverty? How do we live obedience? You know, uh, how do we live chastity? Those, those essential elements are exactly the same as they were at the, at the foundations. I mean, it's been dressed up a little bit more and we've got electricity and, 
you know, and lots of flashy stuff. But but as long as we return to those originating and original elements of, of Christian life, which were given to us from the beginning, that's the key to, to reformation in the life of the church. It's, you know, you know, you can have lots of meetings and gather bishops and priests and laity and come up with, but the, the answer is always there, as you're saying. It's just, it's, it's living Christian life to the full, embracing grace, developing a vital interior life. Um, that's always the way. That's always the way. Yeah. 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 I was interviewing a guest, and I remember for the network, and she just put it so strongly. You know, priest has to be chased. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like when she said it, it was like this. You know, it was like, I don't know. I was just convicted by the way she said it. Yeah. About, I don't know. You know, we'll have our cares and what's it saying. Yeah, it's so simple in many ways. But I've kept you up way too late. Oh, no, no. It's been, it's been a tremendous pleasure. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Father.